Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Chuck Munter, an assistant professor of mathematics education at the University of Missouri. The international German-published mathematics education journal, formerly known as Zendelblatt für Didaktik der Mathematik, apologies for my pronunciation, and now simply known as ZDM, is one of the field's oldest, now in its 51st volume. It publishes seven issues per year, each a themed guest-edited collection of papers, by invitation only. The topics and guest editors of all seven of 2020's issues and the first two of 2021 have already been determined and posted on the journal's website. One of the topics included in this year's volume of ZDM, in issue three published in June, was Identity in Mathematical Education. It opened with a survey article by the issue's guest editors, Melanie Graven and Anot Head Metsuyanim, closed with a commentary by Anna Safard, and included 14 original articles in between, presenting reviews and new work pertaining to student and teacher identity. Given the wide applicability of the construct of identity, we thought the issue's articles might be of interest to podcast listeners, and we thought it might be fun to hear from the authors themselves this time around. Luckily, six of the authors were able to respond to our invitation to record summaries or extending commentaries on their work. The entries you will hear are bookended by the guest editors, beginning with Melanie Graven from Rhodes University in South Africa and ending with Anat Head Mitzunim from Technion, Israel Institute of Technology. In between, you will hear from Macy Golson from the University of Michigan in the U.S., Olga Fellis at the University of Ottawa in Canada, Sonia Lutvats at the University of Oilu in Finland, and Lisa Dara from the University of Auckland in New Zealand. I'll leave it to those scholars themselves to share the titles and descriptions of their articles. As always, we encourage listeners to consider becoming contributors to the Digest episodes of the podcast. If you are interested in submitting brief summaries and interpretations of recent works that you are interested in, please contact me or Sam Otten. Melanie Graven, co-author of the paper, Mathematics Identity Research, The State of the Art and Future Directions. In 2018 and 2019, Arnett Haid guest edited a ZDM special issue, Mathematics Identity Research, which has 16 papers, including a commentary by Anas Fard. The issue was published in June this year, and we encourage those interested in identity in education to read it. As guest editors, we jointly wrote the introductory paper as a state-of-the-art on maths identity research. In this paper, we map out where the field has got to, some key contributions of the special issue, and we discuss some ideas on where to from here. Identity research in maths education has become increasingly prominent over the past two decades. In the last few years, there have been several reviews of identity literature in the field of maths education generally, or specifically focused on maths learner identities, or otherwise focused on mathematics teacher identity. We begin our paper by summarizing the key findings of these reviews, pointing to various categorizations proposed by their authors and the critiques raised therein. 
We then report on our more recent review of identity literature in mathematics education, published in the top 20 mathematics education journals over the past five years. We found 47 articles in total. This review enables us, firstly, to speak descriptively about the extent to which the field is evolving in relation to earlier findings pertaining to, for example, dominance of certain regions, research foci, research methods and perspectives used. Critiques of identity literature have foregrounded a lack of clear and operational definition. Our review noted some progress in this respect, as authors tended to begin their papers with explicit statements about what identity is. However, we did find that the operationalization in relation to these statements about identity were less clear. Our review highlights the way in which the field seems to have chosen a predominantly median over an Ericksonian perspective, whereby identity is seen not as an acquisition or something one has, but rather as an action, something one does, that is socially constituted, multiple and contradictory. Interestingly, in our review, no papers relied solely on psychological or psychoanalytical theory. We further note key absences in the research, particularly the way in which mathematics objects are backgrounded in articles, and a lack of cross-national comparative studies, as well as studies that connect learner and teacher identities. We note that while there is acknowledgement that the audience is critical in relation to identity stories told, we do not seem to, as a field, reflect sufficiently on how identities or identity work would be different to different audiences. We furthermore seem overly dependent on one-dimensional data sets, particularly interviews, especially of the interviewee telling a story about themselves to the researcher. These various absences, we feel, should be addressed in moving forward in this exciting research field. We do hope you enjoy reading the paper, as well as all the papers in the special issue, because they really do make some very impressive contributions. Thank you. Welcome to the Math Ed Research Podcast, and thank you to Chuck Munter for the invitation to submit a podcast on identity in mathematics education. This is Olga Fellis. I would like to begin with the question of why do we need to turn more focus attention to the notion of identity in mathematics education? There is a short answer and a longer answer to this question. The short answer is that understanding identity within mathematics education connects to a common problem of the ever-increasing number of students that may include their parents and even their teachers that have some level of aversion to mathematics. More and more research provides theoretical and empirical evidence that shows a strong association between how people think of themselves as learners of mathematics and their feelings or attitude and level of engagement with mathematics. The long answer turns our attention to what do we mean when we speak of identity in mathematics education. 
Ontologically speaking, identity in mathematics education has been shown to take the shape and structure of stories we tell about ourselves and others as learners and doers of mathematics. These tellers can be the students themselves, their teachers, their classmates, their parents, and even school artifacts that carry semiotic meanings of success or failure. It's been a long predicament to understand what identity is and how we can harness it to better understand how students co-construct their identities as learners of mathematics. By drawing on recent research on identity, I suggest we might benefit from thinking about identity as a system that has multiple nodes. One of these nodes we can call autobiographical identity that refers to the experiences students have had in learning, doing, and using mathematics. Do these experiences lead to positive attitude towards mathematics? Or rather, does the interpretation of these experiences generate negative feelings associated with doing mathematics? Another node in this identity-related system refers to work that has shown direct relationship between how students are talked to and about as learners of mathematics and their perception of self as users of mathematics. In the context of classroom discourse, for example, This can be understood as whose mathematics-related classroom contributions are picked up, extended, and elaborated on. A third node refers to authorial identity, where learners receive adequate airtime to make sense and take ownership of mathematical concepts. A fourth node refers to socioculturally available identities learners align with or reject. Taken together, I thus suggest the acronym of ADAS that stands for the four nodes of autobiographical, discursal, authorial, and sociocultural identity to look into how identity is both multidimensional as well as multidirectional. I would like to mention important work that I find really helpful in understanding identity in mathematics education. The work of Anna Svard, Ralph Mason, Joe Towers, Jennifer Langer-Asuna, and many others make it possible for us to better understand the perplexing association of identity work and learning mathematics. Looking at the large number of people's experiences learning mathematics, of patterns of interaction that position learners as abled or disabled mathematically, of the opportunities learners get to appropriate knowledge in and about mathematics, and of the vicarious identities that are socioculturally available to our students, are only some directions we can look into to better understand how identity shapes feelings and attitude toward and builds self-motivation for learning and doing mathematics. This only matters because We can filter new pedagogical approaches and classroom practices that address identity construction in mathematics classrooms. In other words, we are increasingly becoming aware that in addition to mathematics-related technology, pedagogy, and content knowledge, education programs should also carefully and intentionally incorporate identity into the formula. Thank you.
my name is Macy Golson. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Michigan in Educational Studies. I'm so happy to share the work that I co-authored with Dr. Danny Martin, which is titled Black Girl Face, Racialized and Gendered Performativity in Mathematical Context. I'm excited to share my work on this platform and think, um, I think really hard about ways to re-represent scholarly work for broader audiences. So I take this as a, as a real privilege. This article is about how race and gender are performed in math classes. And I think all too often we treat the constructs of race and gender as static in mathematics education uh, research. Um, we teach them as variables or as these obvious um, kinds of identities that we think that we understand. And so in this article, I wanted to take up, you know, the dynamic nature of these constructs and how they play out at the interactional level, particularly between learners and teachers. And I was particularly interested in sharing the experience of Cameron, um, a pseudonym who was um, an adolescent black girl in the study um, in a large Midwestern city that, as you can imagine, is plagued by uh, patterns of disinvestment. And you can also imagine crime and hyper surveillance. And I wanted to convey through a black feminist lens how these larger forces operating in her neighborhood were actually manifesting um, and constraining her mathematical work in these um, micro moments, if you will. And so the article is a part of, I should mention, a part of a larger study known as CLIC, or Content Learning and Identity Construction, which was led by Danny Martin and Maria Varalis and Justine Kane. Um, they also uh, developed a framework of exploring how children's mathematics identities and science identities develop. And um, that work is published in an issue, that framework is published in an issue of human development. But for this article, I wanted to use a hermeneutical process to deconstruct scenes of Cameron working with a student teacher to unpack what she expressed as the pain of doing mathematics. And so during the collection, the data collection phase, I was um, the researcher in the field and I interviewed Cameron several times and she was unwavering in her disdain of mathematics. And then when I would turn to look at her in the classroom, her experiences were pretty typical of inner city mathematics learners. And that's to say of, again, under-resourced schools where the instruction tends to be very transmission-like. So reviewing of homework, taking notes, working problems. And she was unequivocal about the way that she talked about how painful her mathematics class was. And I really wanted to get inside the phenomenological reality of this pain in mathematics. And we are, as a math education research community, so quick to defend mathematics and describe its joy and its beauty. But how do we make sense of learners' pain? And if we understood that pain, what can we do with that information? And I was also curious how might being a Black girl in her particular community actually be playing an essential role in that experience and in her performance. And when I use the word performance, I'm not talking about an academic performance as on a test, but as the actual, how we perform our identities, how we perform being a woman or a girl or being black or being white or um, Asian. Um, and so Cameron had a very masculine presentation which is an important part of this analysis. And I connect her masculine presentation to cool pose, which is a concept that was developed by majors and billings to describe how black men kind of move in the world with this kind of stoicism. Um, and, you know, we call it swagger now, but it's a protective mechanism that allows for a sense of strength and invincibility, but it also is kind of masking um, a lot of the pain that's going on on the inside. And I saw this in Cameron too. 
But of course, Cameron's not a black man. She's an adolescent girl who learned how to perform the stoicism in her neighborhood. And I argue that she used this performance to protect herself as a black girl who had experienced a traumatic event in her childhood. And I think for her, it was also a way of gaining a sense of control. You can imagine walking down the street. How do you have control? How do you maintain a sense of invincibility? And so people develop a variety of performances and ways of of moving in the world and protecting themselves. And this was her particular way. And so we call this Black girl face, this kind of performance of stoicism, not because it had anything to do with her face. Um, Some people have already asked me about that. It has nothing to do about with that, but with the nature of racialized and gendered performances and of saving face. In mathematics learning, however, like when we think about invincibility, In math learning, there's lots of moments of vulnerability and uncertainty, maybe in mathematics more than any other discipline. Math learners are constantly being under surveillance. And in the paper, I actually talk about how she is being so careful with every mark on the paper and every utterance that she says and having such level of uncertainty for someone who performs invincibility all the time. And so I try to argue that reconciling this performance of black girl face and invincibility along with the vulnerability of learning requires a great deal of what I call relational labor that I'm suggesting is a likely source of her pain. And so I felt it was important to do this work because we as a math ed community often talk about gender and race, but we do not show how these constructs are made manifest. Um, And I wanted to problematize what we meant by Black girl and provide access to the mathematical experience by focusing on the body. This was really challenging to write for several reasons. First, because this article was in ZDM, I was speaking to an international community and trying to make Black girlhood, which is illegible in a U.S. context, legible to even a broader community that has very little understanding of what it might mean to be a Black girl in an urban environment, for example. Um, But second, the analytical process in developing the findings and the theorizing in this article involved this hermeneutic process and these horizons and frames. And this kind of reflection and hermeneutics in terms of like taking a scene and deconstructing it through different lenses and different scales is not typical in microanalysis. And so I felt like we were doing some some hard work there. And then third, we had to make the black girl body visible. And there are ethical strains about putting a black girl's body under such microscopic analysis. If we follow the history of black women and black girls and how their bodies are viewed and gazed upon and um, objectified and generally um, mistreated, I felt that same kind of strain in doing this analysis. So it's not only like that we were arresting the body and, and putting it under the microscope, but we also had to be able to represent that to the reader. And so that was also quite challenging. And you'll notice that in the article, we use thumbnails and transcripts to kind of communicate this detail. But again, it still is uh, somewhat reductive to the dynamism of what was happening in the moment. And so overall, my hope is that we honored her experience We made it legible, we made it knowable so that Black girls can be seen and understood differently. And I think it was also really important for me in this work to make clear that there are a variety of Black girl math experiences, not just one, and that we will do better as a community when we start thinking about how to deconstruct race, how to deconstruct gender, and not just use these as kind of um, well-known or perhaps well-understood 
variables. So that's my summary, and I hope you all get a chance to to read the article, and I hope folks will reach out if they have questions. So thanks so much. My name is Sonia Lutovac, and in this brief talk, I will provide a bit of an insight into the paper Methodological Landscape in Research on Teacher Identity in Mathematics Education, a review study, which I co-wrote with my colleague Raimo Kasila. Raimo and I have published another review of teacher identity research in 2017 in International Journal of Mathematics and Science Education, and have suggested some possible future directions for research in this domain. What we have not done in that paper, though, is focused on reviewing methodologies. And because we know that how we study identity in mathematics education research greatly affects the knowledge we obtain, we wanted to initiate a discussion for methodological developments in future research on this topic. Our review study examined 52 published articles. In our paper, you can find out all about which studies were included or excluded. However, we try to include all the central works related to teacher identity published between years 2000 and 2017. The analytical approach of our own study was meta-ethnography, which means that we have synthesized examined research in an interpretive manner. What we looked for in examined studies was, for example, who the participants were, how many and how they were selected, what kind of data collection methods were used and how long the data collection lasted, and which methods of data analysis were applied and in what way. So here are some highlights from our final commentary. First, what was interesting finding regarding the participants in examined studies is that researchers usually chose participants from only one educational context. This means that these were either specialist mathematics teachers or then generalists, which we sometimes refer to as class teachers. We were of the opinion, however, that future research could focus on simultaneously including participants from both of these contexts because it would allow us to improve teacher education of both groups. Second observation was focused on data collection methods. These were very versatile and well described. In most studies, the data was collected over a longer period of time, for example, two years or more, which allowed for addressing the changes in some aspect of teacher identity over time. Also, class observations as a method of data collection appeared to be very common. This choice allowed researchers to look more closely at the various factors of teaching practices that shape teachers' identities, and vice versa. Third, and perhaps the most significant finding, was that while all the studies were qualitative, in many studies there was no explicit mention that a particular study would be qualitative. 
In addition, this lack of explicit labeling or naming of what the researchers have done became of a greater concern when we noticed that the same was the case with analytical approaches. These were often left without a label, which complicated our work, but it also complicates the reader's understanding of how exactly the authors position their own research methodologically. What we argued was that labeling of analytical approaches is a necessary addition to a clear description of what has been done and why. This would also allow for better comparability of the methods used. So we began this study in hopes of finding some innovative analytical approaches. However, as it turned out, analytical approaches presented a general weakness in the examined research. Our final suggestion for future research was to expand the analytical scene of mathematics education research by looking outside of our context into general education research or other research fields in order to find new and viable analysis methods that could be employed in the study on identity. If you are interested to find out more, I encourage you to read the full paper. Thank you. The opening scenes of the movie, the frame is centred on teacher Tia. The camera zooms out to show her balanced upon a stool, perhaps a metaphorical pedestal. Children surround her, calling out for attention and hugs. As Tia glances down, she begins to topple, and with this potential fall, the camera spins, taking us back in time to the teacher's own childhood. We arrive at a key moment in Tia's life. Her father has received bad news. His factory will close and the family's socio-economic status is set to plummet. Fortunately for Tia, she has a dynamic and caring mathematics teacher, who later provides motivation to attend university. Tia does not plan to be a teacher, yet somehow she falls into this career. You'll die of starvation, say her parents, but it appears she has a vocation. The film continues with a montage of teaching moments. The lessons appear to be mathematics, but we do not see the children engaged in mathematics learning. Rather, they are focused on their teacher, who sometimes delivers her lessons with music and games. Tia appears to go above and beyond the call of duty, buying her needy students shoes and providing them hot drinks in the mornings. They clearly love her, their saviour. Hi, my name is Lisa Dara, and that was an edited snippet of the movie synopsis that Dorinka Radovich and I wrote from the interview data of 10 Chilean primary school teachers after their participation in professional development for problem-solving mathematics teaching. It was while we were analysing the interviews that we received the invitation to write an article for a special identity issue of ZDM, and we both felt this was an excellent opportunity to push the boundaries a little regarding methodologies in mathematics identity research. But at the same time, both Dorinka and I were aware of our previously published articles that were critical of there being a lack of conceptual clarity and insufficient operationalization in identity research, so we had to be careful not to commit these same crimes when writing together. During the interviews, we had wanted to gain a sense of the teachers' identity stories, 
and we decided to ask them to tell us about how the movie of their teaching life would be. We thought by changing the medium a little, it would lead to more reflection and synthesis, and this way we could use the metaphor to ask other questions that are harder to target when simply asking for a narrative. We asked about main characters, supporting roles, and for the complication of the movie. In writing the article for ZDM, we decided to take the movie analogy one step further and present the results in the form of a movie synopsis. You see, research on identity is often presented in the form of one or two case studies, even when the research actually involved a greater number of participants. And the reason for this is, I think, because identity is such a rich and nuanced concept that it requires the sort of descriptive depth that you get from a case study. But then, of course, you miss the complexity and breadth that comes from multiple cases. And this is something I know concerns the editor-in-chief of ZDM, Gabrielle Kaiser, about this sort of research. And so we thought combining the voices together into one was a way to get both breadth and depth. And this sort of thing has been done before. Defratis, Nadi, and Hanula have all used somewhat fictitious data, albeit a fiction that was entirely derived from the data, as in our case. So we put all the themes that came from interview movies into a spreadsheet and made very detailed counts of how many teachers contributed to each theme. In this way, we checked that our invented synopsis was very true to the data. But I think our article makes more than a methodological contribution. It also opens up more space for considering cultural or collective teacher identities and how these may impact teachers' learning and change. So the mother-saviour identity is something that we saw strongly in the data. To be caring and to be a saviour of the students was an available cultural identity that all the teachers called upon to some extent when they told their stories or enacted their own teaching identity. We believe this identity resonates beyond the context of Chile, and it was certainly evident in other famous teacher movies we watched, like To Sir With Love, Stand and Deliver, and Freedom Writers. It also helped us to understand the limited uptake of professional development in problem-solving mathematics. Even though the PD was developed with respect to international research, it probably did not sufficiently cater to or challenge this desirable identity of the teachers, and thus it wasn't successful in the long run. Finally, I want to thank Dorinka for joining me in this article, and I also want to mention how honoured I feel being a part of the special issue. So many of the important writers in identity research have contributed, and it's a thrill to have my name included next to theirs. I thoroughly enjoyed reading the other articles of the issue, and it was super special to have Anna Svard write that our article inspired her to frame her response as a conversation with a fictitious journalist. Hi, my name is Einat Hedmetsuyanim, and I will talk today about a study I conducted together with Galit Shabtai titled Narratives of Good Instruction, Teachers' Identities as Drawing on Exploration versus Acquisition Pedagogical Discourses. The story that led to this research was that Galit, who was at the time a district mathematics leader of elementary schools in Israel, and also a postdoc of mine, observed that despite multiple professional development efforts, which were all geared towards explorative mathematics instruction, the teachers in her districts were still often teaching in traditional ways. 
Moreover, she often observed the difference between what she heard from teachers outside the classroom, which were often enthusiastic adoptions of explorative ideas, and what she observed once she visited the classroom, which seemed to be more traditional forms of instruction. We embarked on this study, therefore, to better understand how teachers' pedagogical discourse and identities are aligned with pedagogical discourses around them. We started by first defining these two discourses, which we named the Exploration Pedagogical Discourse, or EPD, and the Acquisition Pedagogical Discourse, APD. It is important to note that we term these discourses with a capital D, since, inspired by the work of James G., we want to stress that these discourses exist in the social sphere. We demonstrated the EPD, which is widely adopted by the mathematics education community, through a formal document of the Israeli Ministry of Education that is very similar to the NCTM principles and standards. We contrasted the EPD with the acquisition pedagogical discourse, which we mainly characterize based on previous literature on traditional or teacher-centered instruction. Our aim was to examine how teachers' identities and pedagogical discourses align with the EPD, contrasted with the APD, and how these alignments relate to their own forms of participation in the mathematical discourse. For this, Galit interviewed 12 teachers from her district. The interview had an important unique feature. It included vignettes of teaching that were prototypes of different types of instruction. This instruction was either low or high on two dimensions, student struggle and explicit attention to concept, resulting in a two-by-two matrix of teaching types. We also wanted access to the teacher's mathematical identity and their mathematical discourse. For this, Galit posed to the teachers a problem which asked, which would be better, calculating first a tax of 10% then a price reduction of 20% or vice versa? All interviews were recorded and transcribed verbatim. The method of analysis was inspired by Svart's cognitive theory as well as by our own former studies that have used discourse analysis to detect implicit identity messages in learners and teachers' talk. Our analysis revealed that almost all the teachers had some element of heterogeneity in their talk, drawing on the EPD, while voicing some narratives, often implicitly, that were more aligned with the APD. We also found that, in general, the more the teacher aligned with the EPD, the more her participation in mathematical problem-solving was explorative. However, this was not always a straightforward relation. We exemplified our analysis on the case of one teacher, Limor. Limor declared being aligned with the EPD, talking about herself as a teacher who believes strongly in offering opportunities for her students to struggle, make sense, and achieve deep understanding. However, almost all her implied messages, including the descriptions of how she would achieve such deep understanding, valued fact retrieval, performing correct procedures, and avoiding struggle that would throw the kids into the lion's den, as she phrased it. Interestingly, Limo also expressed much anxiety around her own mathematical performance, and her mathematical discourse was mostly ritual. The case of Limo was rather extreme. On the continuum of alignment between the APD versus the EPD that we constructed in this paper, based on the mapping of all the interviews, she was located as one of the teachers most aligned with the APD. 
Yet still, this case exposes the complexities of adopting the exploiter pedagogical discourse. In the paper, we discuss the implications of these findings, mainly stressing the need to allocate more time for actual exploitive mathematical experiences to the teachers, rather than providing them with general pedagogical directions only. Thank you.